I, excuse me. I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and follow along. And, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the second in a three-part series on marriage. And um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Notice Paul writes, Love is patient, love is kind, it is not envy, it is not boastful, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Drop down to verse 13. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And can we pray one more time, please? Lord, I'm asking this morning that you help me to make your word applicable as we look at different passages this morning of Scripture, where the rubber meets the road, as we talk about this pertinent subject, it's where we all live, relationships, family, marriages. Help me this morning as I share this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Did you hear the story? Did you hear the story about the minister? There was a minister who died, and he went to heaven, and he was standing in line at the pearly gates. There was a minister who died, and he was standing in line at the pearly gates. There was a fellow right in front of him, and this fellow in front of him was dressed in a, in a loud t-shirt, blue jeans. He had long hair, and he had sunglasses. Sunglasses. And St. Peter was right there, and St. Peter said, Sir, what is your name? And this fellow said, My name is Joe Cahan, and I am a taxi, taxi cab driver from New York City. Peter checked off his list right there, and he handed him a gold staff, and he handed him a silk robe, and he said, Welcome to heaven. Welcome to heaven. This minister was the next one in line, and St. Peter said, Who are you? And he said, I am Reverend Joseph uh, Abram, Reverend Joseph Abram, and I'm the pastor of St. Mary's Cathedral in New York City. And St. Peter looked at his list there, and he handed him, he handed him a wooden staff and a cotton robe, a wooden staff and a cotton robe. And the minister said, hey, 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 what's going on here? You handed that fellow in front of me a golden staff and a silk robe, and I get a wooden staff and a cotton robe. What's going on here? And St. Peter said, listen, fella, up here we work by results. When you preach, you put people to sleep. When he drove his taxi, he made him pray. (laughs) I'm hoping that I don't put you to sleep this morning. I'm hoping that I don't put you to sleep. 
This morning, I want to talk about the different stages of marriage. I don't want to talk about the different stages of marriage. Did you know there are several different stages of marriage? A typical marriage goes through three or four different stages. And according to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, it says, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. In other words, God wants us to be wise. And God wants us to understand that there are different things that happen to us over a period of time. And today we're going to gain a little wisdom and a little understanding, which is the foundation of a strong home life. Stage number one I've entitled the, is the happy honeymoon stage. The happy honeymoon stage. And uh, we read about this in the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, the happy honeymoon stage. And there are individual key words to help describe these particular stages that I'm going to be talking about this morning. And listen to the comparisons and listen to the descriptions in this particular chapter. Solomon and his beloved wife are comparing each other. Solomon says this, Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the maidens. The guy is absolutely smitten. She says back, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to set in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He's taking me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. He strengthens me with raisins and, and, uh, and he is, you might want to say, one big hunk. One big hunk. She's devastated by this guy. He refreshes me with apples, for I am faint with love. Verse 8, listen, my lover, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. Wives, can you see your husband coming, bounding into the, into the bedroom with his boxer shorts on? Here I am, honey. What's happening here? What's going on here? I think that there are five descriptive words that we just got through reading about here. Five words that describe the first stage of marriage. First of all, there's intensity. There's intensity. There is focused attention. They are spellbound with one another. They are, they are absorbed with one another. They are engrossed with each other. They've got a crush. I have eyes only for you and no one else. They're totally preoccupied. I'm faint with love, she says. That's what happens in the first stage of marriage. You're zapped. You're zapped. There is intensity. And the second key word is idealism. Idealism. You have a tendency in the first stage of marriage to put your marriage partner on a pedestal. On a pedestal. Someplace. We see this in chapter 4, the Song of Solomon. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. And then he starts comparing her. Your eyes behind your veils are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, fellas, don't try that one on your wife. Don't try that one on your life. And then, then he says, your teeth are like the flock of sheep. <laughs> this is oriental, oriental beauty, the analogy. Your lips are like the scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind the veil are like the halves of the pomegranate. I guess they stick out. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Your neck is like the Tower of David. He's giving her a rundown on her body, and I'll stop right there at the neckline, okay? I won't go any further. Look at verse 7. All, all beautiful, you're beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. 
So he's talking about idealism. There's, 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 they're perfect, total disregard of differences and faults. And number three, the third descriptive word is indulgence. Indulgence. There's a lot of giving and there's a lot of giving up. Whatever you want, darling, whatever you want, you, get, you, you, you go along to get along. You cater to every whim. You're pampering each other. You can't stand sports. You cannot stand sports, but you will spend three or four hours watching a boring baseball game because you're in love. And, and the, and the fiancé or the newlywed husband will go to that major concert, that, that uh, concert with you and set through three or four hours of boring music. It's not boring to her. And then number three is indulgence. There's a lot, again, there's a lot of giving and giving up. Number four, let's go on, I already said indulgence. Number four is infatuation. Infatuation. And this is the fourth ingredient. When you have intensity and idealism and indulgence, then you have infatuation and you see this in the song of solomon he says i'm in love there's a bounce so to speak in a step you read in between the lines and solomon throughout this entire book is writing this way intensity idealism indulgence and infatuation but there's one more word that describes this particular stage and you know what that word is ignorance ignorance absolutely so ignorance the fact is, you don't really know that person, and that person doesn't really know you. You don't know that person, and that person doesn't really know you. You may have been dating for a year, two years, or a few months, but you really don't know that person. You don't know them like you think you do. You're in love with an ideal of them. You don't know what they're really like, and you don't know what, they're, what you're in for. Um, one guy said, one guy said, I didn't know that puppy love would lead to a dog's life. During this particular stage, we have a tendency, we have a tendency, we have a tendency to ignore our differences. We have a tendency to ignore our differences. And our faults. And we put our hang-ups aside and we sweep major conflicts underneath the carpet, so to speak. The fact is, this stage cannot last. It cannot last. Sooner or later, we wake up to uh, two or three realities. First of all, we have to work. We have to make a living. And then if you have children, then you're time, you have time constraints. And all of a sudden, you start having to pay the bills again. And that first stage kind of floats off. And then we come to stage number two. And it's described in Proverbs 27. And this stage is called the party's over stage. The party's over stage. Now, realize, realize that the same man who wrote the Song of Solomon is the same man who wrote Proverbs chapter 27. Solomon. And in Proverbs chapter 27, a little bit later, in Songs of Solomon, he said, everything's fantastic. Everything's great. We're in love. I'm in love with her. She's in love with me. And it's all hunky-dory. And he's one big hunk. And she's one beautiful woman. And everything's going great. And everything's going on for, you know, on track, whatever it may be. And we're just sweeping all the conflict and everything else underneath the carpet. And, and, uh, and we live in this bubble. And we live in this glass world. And now the same person who wrote the Song of Solomon, notice in Proverbs chapter 27, Verses 15 and 16, the same author says about his lovely wife, 
I'm quoting, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Drip, 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 drip. Notice, restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. What has happened? What's going on here? The delight has turned into disillusionment. The dating has turned into debating. The romance has turned into resentment. The ideal has turned to the ordeal. And we have entered stage number two. We went from the happy honeymoon stage to the parties over stage. And do you realize that the typical American uh, American couple that gets a divorce, they get a divorce after the average is 7.2 years. Why? It takes two or three years, typically, to go through the happy honeymoon stage. Another two or three years to go through a difficult, difficult time. In the seventh year, they're ready to throw in the towel. The typical average is 7.2 years. The party's over. And there are five words to describe this constant drip that he was talking about on a rainy day. Dullness. Dullness. It's back to the routine. Boredom sets in. You become complacent. You lose your interest in your appearance. When you were dating in the first year or two of marriage, you would come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and, and now it's hair curlers, and now he's got bad breath, and now he's got dog breath in the morning, now he's got two or three babies stubble on his face, and you just let it all hang out, dullness. And number two is disagreements. You begin to clash over the differences, over the stuff that you've swept underneath the carpet. Now it's out in the open. You begin to argue, and there's some strife in your marriage, and there's disagreements. And number three, the third word is defensiveness, defensiveness. You start protecting yourself. You're not as open as you were. You, you don't let your guard down as much. You're watching your rear flank because you don't want your faults used against you for ammunition. And so there is dullness, disagreement, defensiveness, resentment builds up. And number four, there is disapproval, disapproval. Before we find Solomon saying, everything is fantastic. Everything is right. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She does everything right. Now he's saying, Nothing she does is right. She's a constant drip on a rainy day. Oh my goodness. What's happened? What's going on? Disapproval. Oh my. And someone has said, we criticize and we jab, and someone said the way to bury a marriage is a lot of little digs. A lot of little digs. A lot of little digs. Poking fun. And then number five is disappointment. Disappointment. You become disillusioned. I, I've had so many people say to me, I feel cheated. I feel cheated. I, I came into this marriage giving my all, giving my best, and the person that I married is not giving their best in return. I, I have these doubts. What have I gotten myself into? Did I do the right thing? Did I marry the right person? Did I make a mistake? Why didn't I listen to my mother? Why didn't I listen to my mother, uh, father? Doubts and disillusionment. And dullness and disagreement and defensiveness and disapproval and disappointment set you up for the two big D's. And you know what the two big D's are? You know what they are? Divorce 
and or depression, discouragement. People say, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable, but I don't know what else to do. I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to stay with her. Or they get a divorce. Divorce, depression, discouragement. Break up, break down, or there's a third way. There is a third way. But it takes two people, not just one, but two people. And we're talking about a breakthrough. Not a breakup, not a breakdown, but a breakthrough. There's always those three choices. Break up, break down, or breakthrough. Even though the average length of marriage can be in 7.2 years, you can beat the statistic. A number of years ago, I read on the front page of the Los Angeles Times, uh, there was an article on the front cover of the Los Angeles Times. And it was a lead article. And evidently, in Hollywood, California, there was a jewelry store that was advertising that they rented wedding rings. They rented wedding rings. How do you get into the next stage? We've all been there, the happy honeymoon stage. We've all been the parties over stage. But how do you transition into the next stage? What do you do? This stage is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what I call the mature love stage. And I want you to notice verses 4 through 7 one more time with me. Notice, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, love always perseveres, love never fails. In fact, it is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. How do you transition into this? This kind of mature love, notice he says, love is, love does not, Love is not. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is an attitude. Love is a perspective. There are five words that I want to share with you from an acronym that I came up with. T-R-U-S-T. T-R-U-S-T. And the letter T stands for tenderness. Tenderness. There's, there's got to be tenderness in your marriage. You're gentle and not judgmental with each other. You're careful with each other's feelings. There's tenderness and there is respect and responsibility. R stands for respect and responsibility. You respect your spouse. You treat them with appreciation. You're responsible. You accept the fact that you're part of the solution. You're not a part of the problem. You're part of this thing that makes a team here. It takes two of you. And U stands for understanding. Understanding. There's only one way that you can go from trans, you go can go from stage number two to stage number three, and that is to accept your differences and to recognize that you really are different. 
did you know that every single chromosome in a woman's body is different from every chromosome in a man's body? Did you know that every woman is different from every other woman and every man is different from every other man? And when we get married, we're full of all kinds of positive things and we're full of all kinds of negative things. And there are some things that you just have to accept about the other person and quit trying to change in them. There's nothing wrong with saying, I wish you would do this different. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But the moment that we get beyond saying, I wish you would do something different and begin to manipulate and begin to harp and et cetera, et cetera, it never, ever works. You have to accept the differences and accentuate the positive and let the negative go. Tenderness, respect, responsibility, understanding, and S stands for security. Mature love as security that says, no matter what happens, we will make it. You're not threatened by disagreements. Maybe the marriage is dying. Maybe the marriage is ending. We never want to say that because we have an argument or disagreement. Never threaten to walk out. Get rid of that D word. Get rid of that divorce word. We've had too many good experiences. Let this current crisis or argument destroy our marriage. And I'm, I'm committed to you regardless. And T stands for truthful and trusting. Mature love is truthful. Notice the Bible says it delights, it rejoices in speaking the truth. You're open, you're honest. You speak the truth in love. You're truthful, but you're tender. Now, a number of years ago, Cliff Barrels, Cliff Barrels, who's the song leader, used to be the song leader for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade, he was quoted as saying, my wife and I, had some problems. And I realized early on that there were 12 words that would revolutionize our marriage. 12 words that would revolutionize our marriage. And he said, I said to her sincerely, I am wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I am wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. How do you get from stage two to stage number three? I described what stage number three is kind of like, but how do you get there? This is what the scripture indicates. This is the bottom line. You've got to open up. You've got to open up. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And this is exactly what Cliff Barrels was saying. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You confess your sins to one another. You treat one another with tenderness instead of just letting it all hang out and letting them have it and giving them uh, the, 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 you know, uh, the, the uh, lava, the volcano act. You say it in a kind, nice way. Anybody can ream anybody out. You, you want to be tender. You want to be kind. You want to pull them aside. This is what I'm feeling, and this is what's going on. And I'm really sorry that I've done this. I, I, I apologize for it. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You open up.
Admit you're part of the problem. Face the issue. Share your feelings. Be honest with your spouse. Quit pretending and quit concealing. Don't be defensive. Like the wife who said to her husband, Are you a man or a mouse? Squeak up. Corny, I know. Open up. And number two, you have to give up. You have to give up some of those things that plainly don't work. You know, there are so many things that don't work, right? So many things that don't work. The silent treatment. Has the silent treatment ever worked for you? It's never worked for me. The silent treatment. You've got to give that up. I'll just sulk and I'll just pout. Is there anything wrong? No. Are you sure? No. Are you all right? Just leave me alone. Sulking and pouting. It doesn't work. And then you have to give up threatening to walk out. I didn't like what you said to me. I didn't like what you did to me. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go back to my mother's house. I'm going to divorce you. Come on now. Get rid of that kind of stuff. It doesn't work. Threatening. And then you got to get rid of sarcasm and ridicule. That never built a mirror. Sarcasm and ridicule. It may be cute, but it doesn't help to say, only you could be that stupid. That doesn't help. And then you've got to get rid of blame. You know, as long as you're trying to fix blame on your spouse, you, you can't heal up the marriage. You know, you can point the finger, but you're part of the, not only part of the problem, but you're part of the solution. It takes two people, not just one. And then trying to change your partner. I'll just improve him. The new and approved honey, the new improved wife, new improved, uh, made in the image of me. You've got to open up, give up, and finally grow up. Number three is grow up. If I could say it this way, one of the greatest needs in marriage is just to grow up. Maturity. There's a lot of selfish, immature people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about faith, hope, and love. We need God's help. We can't make it without Christ's help. Faith. I've got to have unconditional love. Love for you that is willing to go beyond selfishness to meet your needs. Unconditional love. And I've got to have hope. Hope. Which really is perseverance. A number of years ago, back in 1980, there were headlines across the United States, and they all basically read the same thing. It was right after the Winter Olympics. The dream team, the hockey team for the United States, made up a bunch of ragtag former college players and minor league hockey players. They won the Olympic gold medal. Remember that? There was even a Disney movie made years later about that. Miracle on the ice. What many people don't realize and what they don't understand is that the fellow who was the coach of that particular team, his name was Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks knew that the only way that they could beat the former Soviet Union who had won 12 Three Olympics were, they, they, the United States had never won an Olympic game against the former Soviet Union for three Olympics. 
the only way that they could beat them is to form this team that emphasized team and that emphasized special play. And all of their players had to be committed to the team concept and the team idea, and they all had to persevere. And it was a long shot. Well, what happened is, is that along the way, they beat the Czechs, Czechoslovakia team. And then they beat the Swedes. And then they beat the Soviet Union. And then they came from behind and they beat the team from uh, the Finnish team, 4-2 to two in the final score. They won the Olympic medal for hockey. Why? They never backed down, never quit. They hung tough. They kept hammering away. In a word, that team had heart and commitment. Last week, we said that if you are married, we're, we're not talking about your past. Divorce may be in your past. But if you are presently married, and if you are going to get married, be committed. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 2. A man will leave his mother and father and cleave. That means to be stuck together like super glue. And this is the only way, in addition to things I talked about, that you can go on beyond stage number three into stage number uh, stage number two into stage number three the mature stage of love. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Would you in your heart